Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. there's a lot to talk about today, and um, I am excited to be here in this place to have our hearts continue to be responding to you and to your work in our lives. And we would like to be in the place where what you've done in us really overflows and not just stays stagnant or not gets blocked off in some way. So we ask by your Holy Spirit that you'd open us up this morning, that you'd lead my words and lead our thoughts and our learning together, and that it would really come to a place of consecration and overflow into the lives of other people who so desperately need to know you through us. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so um, I'm Dave. I think you guys know me by now. I wanted to show you guys a really fun video, and then I'll share with you a little bit about it. It's uh, about the town of Gander, Newfoundland, and this story happened during 9-11. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center. Uh, just informed of a horrible tragedy in Washington and in New York City. September 11th, 2001, uh, my partner and I were finishing a vacation in Europe, and the plane all of a sudden dropped elevation really quickly and then made a turn to the right. And it looked like all of a sudden we were flying to the North Pole. And I thought, how crazy is that? All of a sudden, the captain came on and he said, due to a terrorist attack in the United States, We'll be landing in Gander, Newfoundland. We're going to take us into the town, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what. I was only on for about an hour or so when I got a call from the town manager saying, we're expecting some planes to land in Gander. Looks like that the airspace is going to be shut down because there's a terrorist attack on the United States. This was a tiny town, population 9,000, and once those 38 planes had landed, they ended up with 6,500 stranded passengers, nearly doubling their population. And I have to admit, I'd never heard of the place before, but essentially it's a small island province in Canada on the northeast tip of, of North America. The question is, what were they going to do with this? Then all of a sudden, we're looking to our airport, and here comes 7,000 people. We were able then to be able to go up to these people, put our arms around them, and say, it's okay. We have you. Don't worry. No, no questions was asked. People just came out, gave off their time, their food, their alms, and everything. Well, once we knew all the flights were on the way to Gander, uh, I think the whole town kind of came together, even just going to the grocery store and getting prepared for when they all landed to welcome them to our homes. The people of Gander, they'd been cooking all day and they had taken the time to set up televisions because they knew that's what we wanted to see were the images of what was going on. And they set up telephones and there were people, they made calls over 30 different countries and they'd said, don't worry about paying us any money, just make the call. Doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter what religion you are, it doesn't matter what sexual orientation you are, it's people and you need help, you help them. 
uh, I know I was a little bit nervous, you know, being, uh, have, being a gay couple in a foreign country that we, small town, but we were tra treated uh, like everybody else. We almost became like one big family. Instead of having 9,000, we had 16,000 in the family. When the last plane left Gander and we were at the airport talking to the passengers, when we saw the tears of joy and the smiles on their faces, we were paid in full. That was something that I'll never forget and it's changed my life. Our people responded and, and that made, that's something that I'll always remember. Wow, what a sweet story, powerful story. So Gander, as you guys saw in the video, the town of 9,000 people that took in 6,500 passengers on 9-11. They had 38 planes land in their tiny airport. There's a classic photo of them just all lined up, filling their entire runways with all these American planes. And it came with people from 100 different countries landed there, plus 17 dogs and cats and two great apes. <laughs> they had to find place and room for all of these. The planes had been in the air for over 20 hours, and as you saw in the video, the town helped what were dubbed the plane people find beds, food, water, showers. They cooked meals for them. They made phone calls. They let them borrow cars. They helped fulfill their hospital needs and even helped them find medications they needed while they were stranded. One person said, as I researched this, that we feel like we're healed a little bit more because we had gander. And Jill Briscoe, famous Christian speaker, if you guys are familiar with her, was on one of those flights and stayed in gander during this time, and she said it turned out to be one of the most challenging, frustrating, self-revealing, exciting, productive, God-shadowed weeks of my life. Gander risked so much. They risked the safety of their airspace. There were lots of different areas that refused to land any planes because planes had recently been used as a weapon. They risked the comfort of their homes. There's some classic pictures, I don't know if we have those up there, of beds laid all over people's houses. The, they risked the cost of their own budgets. They accepted no money. It wasn't even for the phone calls. Along the way, they would not take any money from anyone. The only money they took was for a scholarship that they later used to help people go to college. Um, and the capacities, they risked the capacities of their hospitals, their rec centers, their gyms, their churches. All these places had, could have taken damage. People could have stolen things. But they put these people in these places because they needed it. So Gander saw the need of these people. They were moved with compassion, like the song we were just singing, God's Heart Moves with Compassion in a Similar Way. And they utilized every resource at their disposal, literally every resource. They were maximum capacity to help those traumatized passengers. Sweet story. I think it shows something of God's heart, even though they probably, most of those people weren't thinking about God at the time, or some of them were, but there's something about that that just shows the generosity of our Father and the way that he's created us. So how does this Gander story tie into our, our All In series? I'm sure some of your light bulbs are already clicking on. Well, today we're talking about loving 
everyone with all your strength. So we've been going through loving God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And now we've turned the corner and we're loving others with our heart, mind, or heart, soul, and then we're on strength, and the next week will be mind. So we're loving others with all of our strength. So we're trying to apply that powerful effect of loving God with all our strength to the act of loving others. And I think Gander's just a really glorious picture of what it looks like to love others with all our strength. So what does it mean for us to love others with all of our strength? Does it mean we feel loving all the time? I doubt it. Does it mean we always be nice no matter what? Does it mean we always show up to church with a smile on? Does it mean we give everyone the money they ask for? Does it mean we use all our energy to alleviate God-oriented or social justice-oriented causes? You see, I, I don't know about you, but for me, these sorts of things, the questions about loving God with all of my strength, turn so quickly into a to-do list of more things that I would have to do rather than something like an overflow of the heart. So not only um, would if so with the to-do list, not only would I have to work hard, pay bills, upkeep my home, take care of my wife, you know, but now I have to use all my strength to love God and love everyone else too. That would be a lot to fulfill in one day. So the, the funny thing about these commands to love others uh, is they can actually surprisingly become a burden. So my hope today is that we're able to tweak our understanding of strength. Now, Danny did this a few weeks ago, and uh, we'll review a little bit from his sermon and from the Bible Project video that we talked about. We're not going to watch the video, but um, the Bible Project video helped us to understand what the word strength means. It doesn't necessarily mean feeling loving all the time, giving all our money away. It doesn't even mean muscles. So strength actually comes from this word maod, M-E apostrophe O-D. It kind of sounds like I made a sandwich, I spread some mayo on it, and it got mayoed. <laughs> so you can think about that when you're making your sandwich next. So mayoed, it means very or much. It's, it's actually an adverb, uh, a word that the Bible Project said it this way. It's a word that comes alongside to augment another word's meaning. So an adverb uh, like this is like saying, I'm very happy. Well, happy is what I am, but very helps you to know how happy I am. I'm very happy. So mayod is that same idea. It's very or much. It's like a, it, the way they said it was it brings a word to its full potential, or it's like turbocharging a word to its full capacity. Or, you know, if I'm, if I'm irritated with somebody and then they keep bugging me, I'm very irritated, right? That would be a turbocharged version of irritated. So in this sense, we're, the biblical word does not necessarily mean strength or muscle power, right? It, it means something more, and this is the Bible Project's take on it, it means more like muchness, which is a very confusing term. I've wrestled with it since I first saw that video because I'm like, how do I describe muchness? It's so wide. Um, so it's not necessarily vague, but it's abstract. So they said it isn't a thing at all. It's everything. So your muchness isn't a thing, it's actually everything. And what I, as I wrestled with it, what I liked about it was the word doesn't give us the convenience of a to-do list. So you can't put on your to-do list, or I guess you could, a box and write everything next to it. 
or write muchness next to it, it would just be confusing. When during the day do you check that off? Did you do everything? So it, it, it starts to take, uh, shatter some of these boxes. It's reminiscent of Romans 12, 1 through 2, when uh, Paul in- encouraged us to present our whole lives as a, as a living sacrifice to God. It's not just we're presenting our day to him, or it's not just we're presenting our maybe marriage relationship to him or our uh, work situation to him. We're presenting our whole being. It's like there's an altar, it's on fire, and we're stepping in. Our whole lives are there. Our everything is there. So I guess if you did that, you could check the box. Um, so I, I like this quote from, from the Bible Project. This is how they described muchness. They said, loving God with all your may means devoting every possibility, opportunity, and capacity you have to honoring God and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's the most wide and expansive word in the Shema. Me'od can refer to almost anything. The point is, everything in a person's life, every moment, opportunity, ability, capacity, is a chance to love and honor the one who made you. That's everything. The thing I liked about this definition was it presses against the boxes of our loves for others. So we're thinking, well, I, you know, for Carrie, like, I love my wife if I got her flowers and I did the dishes, right? Check, check. But this is different. Love for others in this can look a million different ways as long as you're rooted in the love of God. This definition also presses against the walls of our imagination. It's intentionally expansive. And it's kind of fun for me to think of Jesus throwing this word out in the Shema and watching the Pharisees' eyes widen when they think, well, they already have to do 300 plus rules during the day, and now there's a rule that they cannot even keep. It's intentionally expansive. It's meant to play with the creativity of our brains to make us think, well, I wonder what ways God would have me be creatively love others today with everything I have. There's a prayer in Ephesians 3.20, and at the end of it, Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think. Mayod is like praying and doing that with God. It's doing the abund- far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think and joining in that with him. What would it look like to do far more abundantly beyond all you ask or think you could while loving God and others? So it takes us beyond some of those boxes. So the example of this that Jesus gives, it helps us to understand what it looks like to love others with our mayod. So right after he says this word, they go, the, the lawyer who's talking to him says, well then, so who's my neighbor? You know, how do I check my box? Um, and Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan, which we've gone through a lot in this series. If you're familiar with it, the story is there's a guy, a Jew, who's beat up on the side of the road from thieves, and um, a priest walks by him and ignores him on the way from Jerusalem, and then a Levite, another religious leader, walks by and ignores him, and a Samaritan, who actually, there was racial hatred between the Jews and the Samaritan, acts with compassion, sees this man bloodied on the side of the road who his people hate and who hates him, 
and is moved with compassion. And so what the Samaritan does is he stops, he's probably riding an animal, and he binds the wounds of this man, and then he pours wine and oil on his wounds, which cleanses those wounds. He takes his animal and puts this man's body on him, and then walks the rest of the way to the, to the Jewish inn nearby, and then stays with him that night, and then puts down money so that this man can continue to recover while he goes on his way. Um, one article that Danny had pointed out to me that I really liked said, the Samaritan is using all of his available resources, oil, wine, a cloth wrapping, a riding animal, time, energy, money, to care for the wounded man. A Samaritan would not be safe in a Jewish town with a wounded Jew over the back of his animal. Community vengeance may even be enacted if he, even if he saved the life of the Jew. The overlooked reality of this parable is that the Samaritan risked his life to care for this man. So Maod, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see it actually includes the disposal of our safety, our well-being, our convenience at the expense of loving another. Um, they used in this article the picture of a, a Native American saving a cowboy, but I think an almost more potent visual for us would be if, if we picture back during the American slave trade, a freed slave seeing a wounded white plantation owner putting him on his back and carrying him back to the plantation and, and taking care of him for the night in that home, all those things where it breaks every barrier of the social norm and puts that person's, at life, their, that person's life at risk for the care of another. Gander did this. They let airplanes, which most recently, like we said earlier, had been weapons of destruction, literally that day, land in their hometown, a tiny town that they, I mean, if all those planes landed as weapons, the town would have been decimated, right? But they landed and they saw this as an opportunity to care. So we're seeing for the Samaritan and for Gander and hopefully for ourselves that Jesus is helping us change from a to-do list mentality of loving others and loving God to a compassionate choice to love others. So, so when that lawyer first puts it to Jesus and says, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus actually changes the question later and says it along the lines of, well, you're the neighbor, which I had never thought about. I, always, I still thought about it. Let me see if I can read it for you. Um, so right here it says, uh, the, the Jew said, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So they even show the intention of him, trying to justify himself, figure out the to-do list, and then Jesus at the end changes the question. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the one who fell among the robbers? So he's actually, Jesus is making us the neighbor, not trying to find out who our neighbor is. So that was like a big paradigm shift for me. He's like, you are the neighbor. Now figure out who you want to love rather than Figure out who your neighbor is. Oh, is it the person next door? Is it the, the people who own the business down the street? Is it the people I care about at school? We're not trying to figure out who our neighbor is. We are the neighbor. Now start to neighbor other people. That, that was like, I had never noticed it unless Danny and I were like, I was like, whoa. Um, so the question is not, who is my neighbor so I can fulfill a requirement? 
It's actually about who am I becoming a neighbor to. So it's not a requirement, but it's an overflow of compassion and choice. So it's an overflow of I'm now, my eyes are looking around. I am the neighbor. I'm not looking for someone to check off. Oh, you know, I, I gave money to somebody on the streets. That's my thing for the day. Now I am the person. I'm making the choice and looking for who's God working on? Who do I want to be loving? So I become the person who's offering compassion. So Gander and the Samaritan were crisis choices, right? There was a huge crisis in the United States. Gander responded with compassion. With the Samaritan, there was a crisis for this Jew. Other people were overlooking it. The Samaritan responded. But they weren't, pre, they were pre, they weren't premeditated choices. They were almost like, oh, I just see this and I'm, I'm doing it because there's someone hurting. And some of us are really equipped to do that. Some of us aren't. And along the way, we don't always have, like compassion doesn't always need to be a crisis situation. Compassion can be all the time. So Jesus' challenge is actually for us to re-examine our connection to God in such a way that we, um, that we can be compassionate anytime, all the time, from that place of overflow. So Jesus says, and it's a familiar passage, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So there's this actual like finding of ourselves and of who God is as we fulfill the command to love others with all our strength. So the question for us is, are we willing to do that? Because either we are doing that or we're not and we're saving our lives for ourselves, which means we're losing them, or we are giving them away, which means we're finding them. Are we willing to give our mayode, our everything, to God in such a way that, his, that he has permission to move us with compassion toward another? So are we willing to give our everything to God? That's the first question. In such a way that he has permission to move us with compassion towards another person. So, like, let's intentionalize this. I, I think... When, um, the, the connection between like, what, we ha- what happens at salvation, which is the treasure of our Christian faith, right? When Jesus died for the cross on us, for us, we respond with, oh my gosh, Jesus, you died for me. I'm forgiven for my sins. That's salvation or contrition, like this moment of receiving care, receiving forgiveness, receiving the life of God into us. And, um, but the connection between our contrition and that move of compassion is actually a word that I call, uh, called, the ancients called consecration. It might be familiar to you if you've been in the church for a while. It's an old word, and it helps intentionally set something apart for God. So it means I've received something from God in such a way that I'm responding and wanting to give back to him. So I've received, uh, I've been called holy now because of the forgiveness of God. So now, God, I want to give you back a holy life. I've been loved so much by you, God. Now I want to give, give back to you a life that fulfills this love for others. So the connection between that contrition, salvation, and that compassion flow is consecration. Oswald Chambers said it this way, the fundamental meaning of consecration is separating a holy thing to God, not the separating of an unholy thing to be made holy. And so I read that the first time, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Like, why is that an important distinction? And it's because if, we're in, if, 
if in consecrating or giving ourselves to God, we're thinking we're making ourselves holy, that's a really dangerous self-effort position to be in. We could strive all day to be holy and fail. But God's called us holy, and now we actually get to give back to him a holy life. That, you see how that works? So we're not working towards holiness, we're working from holiness. We're not working towards salvation, we're working from salvation. So Oswald Chambers is making the point, when you're consecrating, you're not working towards God, you're actually giving God back all that he's already given you. So we've received, and now we hand back to him. So it's not a move towards salvation, but it's a response from salvation, and it's like that offering picture of stepping on the altar and being like, God, I'm giving you a living sacrifice. Now my mayode is going to be yours. My everything is going to be yours. Would you push me beyond my limits? Would you break down every box? Would you take the areas that I don't see and let me be a light for you, a life for you? And let that be in such a way that your heart causes compassion to well up in me. Maybe in moments that I wouldn't even expect it. Maybe when it's not even a crisis and I just need to come and put our arm around someone who doesn't feel like they belong. The question for us today is what if we did consecrate our everything to God? I think as Christians, we know, we're pretty aware of how much we've received. We spend, you know, a half of our worship service every Sunday worshiping God for what he's done for us and hearing his uh, generous love, his self-sacrifice, his attention, his care, the way he meets our needs, and saying, God, we need that again, and God, we need that again, and, and it should never be enough. Like God's always going to be an infinite resource for us in our need. And the call then is then to take that and do something with it. Not in a to-do list sense, but in giving it back to God and saying, God, I consecrate my everything for you now. I've received this morning, now I want to give back to you. And the question is, well, do you think God's heart will infect you as you give yourself back to him for work like this? Won't he open us to new areas and awarenesses of compassion and love for other people? Won't he form his heart in ours? Do we want that? So I thought we'd use a little bit of time here in the service and actually spend time praying through this. So we know we spent some time worshiping God, thanking him for all that he's done for us, receiving from that in worship, hearing his word, and now I want to spend some time actually praying through some specific areas of consecration. So we're actually going to do this through a song. It's a familiar one. It's called Take My Life, and um, it's a redone hymn by Chris Tomlin. It was originally an older hymn, um, but it should be familiar. The lyrics should be familiar, and we'll pause between some of the verses and I'll prompt us to pray. So we'll start in prayer. Joe will sing a verse, and then I'll prompt us, let's consecrate this area. And you can do that however you need to. Some people might be nice just to sit in prayer in God's presence. Some people, you might want to sing the verse with Joe and, and let that be your prayer of consecration. But let, let this time be a moment to say, God, like I'm stepping onto the altar I want you to flow through me in such a way that it affects other people's lives, like the Good Samaritan, like Gander, and like you, Jesus, did for me. Um, and then at the end, I'll wrap us up in prayer. How's that sound to you guys? Good? Good. Well, let me pray for us, and, and Joe's going to then start the song. 
Jesus, we do see this morning how you have moved our hearts in worship. We're reminded of all that you did for us on earth when you came as a man, when you lived a life where you healed and touched people, where you saw people who were the people who never thought they'd be seen, never thought they'd be heard. And you brought people in and you forgave them, you touched them, you empowered them, and then you laid your life down for them. And you included us in that. We thank you for that. We thank you for your forgiveness and your love. And we thank you for bringing us close to the Father for his love for us too. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would guide each of us in our hearts as we begin to offer our lives back to you again this morning, as we consecrate ourselves for you. We want to respond to you, Jesus, with an overflow of compassion. Would you help us do this? So Lord, we do together now consecrate our time, our worries, our busyness, our loneliness, our responsibilities, our health and ability to love to you, Jesus. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Our money, Lord, we consecrate our money, our possessions, our homes, our security, our comfort, our poverty, our need, the ways we think about you, Jesus, to you and your purposes. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be Filled with messages from Thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as You choose. Here I am. Consecrate our desires, our dreams, our hopes, and our disappointments. 
our failures and our sin, our attention and our affections, all our love to you, Jesus. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Here I am. Here I am. All of me. Take my Lastly, we consecrate our hearts, our lives to you. Please take our creativity, our compassion, our whole selves to be a living sacrifice to you. And open our eyes to those who your heart is overflowing with compassion towards. Take this all, Jesus. you want to dedicate your life, your whole life to Jesus, I want to invite you to stand as we sing that chorus a couple more times. It simply says, here I am, all of me. Take my life, it's all for thee. Here I am, all of me. Take my Jesus, we uh, just literally respond to you as we've, stand, as we've stood as an act of faith. Would you fill our church, each of our lives, with your presence in such a way that we can live in consecrated thoughts and consecrated desires and consecrated relationships with you. We would like to see your presence breaking the boxes of our own love, breaking the boxes of our own mindsets towards you that keep us uh, maybe trapped or disconnected. We want to live in a communion with you that moves us towards other people. We also ask that you would provide this church with the resources to love, each of us with the resources to love, whether that's literal love or whether that's money, whether that's time, 
to bless those that your heart is moving towards in our lives, in our community, and around the world. You are an infinite God. You promise to do and desire to do more than we ask or think, abundantly beyond what we ask or think. We would like to join with you in this. We ask for your help, and we do consecrate this church, this community, all those who are here responding to you, and ask for your overflow, Jesus, to enter our lives. Pray this in your name. Amen. for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.